This week, racial injustice boils over in the U.S. New Argos offensive lineman Darius Vladek joins us to share his unique journey to the CFL, plus the good, the bad, and the ugly returns, and a whole lot more. This could go long. It's the Argos FanCast. You can find us at Argos FanCast on Twitter and anywhere you find your friendly neighborhood podcasts. Just search Argos FanCast. Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio. We're everywhere. Just search Argos FanCast. I am Clay Chisholm. You can find me at all kinds of Clay on Twitter and the Instagram. And joining us as always, our resident historian from ArgoFans.com. Our VP of Football Operations, Dr. William Gertler, MBA. Hi, everybody. If you want to check out on Twitter, it's uh, at ArgoFans or, or at WillG87. Likewise, check out ArgoFans.com uh, for discussion anything Argos or CFL. And from the Double Blue Order, Sir Douglas of House Ballinger, second of his name, Lord of Section 160, Warden of the South Side, and Protector of the Realm. Ooh, yeah, snap into a Slim Jim. You can find my group, the Double Blue Order, on Facebook at facebook.com slash double blue order, on Twitter at double blue, on that, ah, on Twitter at double blue order, on Instagram at the Double Blue Order, and you can find me personally at Doug B five one nine. Well, and if you're not saying Doug's intro without shaking your fist in the air, pretending you're wielding a sword, you're doing it wrong. Well, I'm uh, I'm actually pondering now making a knight's <laughs> costume for whenever we get back to football. I'm actually pondering it now. Well, one day we'll get back to football and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get there. Um, coming up on the show, we're going to talk to Darius Bladek. Uh He's got an interesting journey to the CFL. And, uh, well, we're going to try a little bit of a new segment with uh, with your your Argos players. We're going to get hit them with uh, some rapid-fire questions at the end there. Oh, what else? We, we, we've got CFL... PA CFL issues. We've got uh, fines that weren't fined, and people have their people things up got, in a bunch about them. Knickers in a twist, apparently. Yeah. Oh, we're and we're supposed to be starting the season, so you know what? We're going to bring back the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we're going to review a classic game. And after we review that. Uh, we're going to have some more on how you guys can help us pick the games we're going to review. Now, the one thing that we have to address, it's not a fun topic to address. In fact, we shouldn't have to be addressing this in 2020. But it all boiled over on May 25th, 2020, when a 46-year-old black man by the name of George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis, Minnesota during an arrest for allegedly using a counterfeit bill. 
Now, this was a $20 counterfeit bill. He did not resist the rest. He was handcuffed and thrown to the ground. And one officer kneeled on the back of his neck for a minute and 48 minutes and 46 seconds. Mr. Floyd screamed, I can't breathe. And four or two, three other officers did nothing to assist. He did not resist. He was unarmed. And it required this, this type of police brutality. Now, it's, this is not new in the United States. There was a, a billboard posted in the U.S. Uh, with some names of just recent people. Eric Garner had just broken up a fight. Ezo Ford was walking in his neighborhood. Michelle Cousseau was in her home. Tanisha Anderson was having a bad day. Tamir Rice was playing in a park. Natasha McKenna was in need of help. Walter Scott was going to an auto parts store. Betty Jones answered the door. Philando Castle, Castile was driving with his family. Bottom Jean was eating ice cream in his living room. Atatiana Jefferson was babysitting her nephew. Eric Reeson was pulling into a parking spot. Dominic Clayton was sleeping in her bed. Brianna Taylor whose assailants have still not been arrested, was also just sleeping in her bed. Ahmed Aubrey was going for a run, and George Floyd was at the grocery store. Now, there are a lot of people out there that are extremely upset that it's gotten to this point, and rightfully so. I don't understand why we still have to talk about this stuff in 2020 it shouldn't be an issue because there's people who are still insistent on fighting a war that ended in 1865 definitely in the states I would agree with you yep you know and and I, I think I speak for us all, you know, when we we say we stand with you, we will be allies to the best of our ability, and all lives cannot matter until black lives matter, and in Canada, until black lives and indigenous lives matter. Mm, absolutely. Amen. Now, the this bringing it a little bit closer to home, there were a few articles that have come out recently. Uh, the first wasn't really an article; it was a um, a, a phone call uh, with with Kahari Jones when he recounted his 
own run-ins with racial injustice. Um, first, he, he mentioned the, the racial injustice he, he ran into when he was in college in, uh, in, in Sacramento. When him and his friends were handcuffed, forced to the ground, and then later released because they couldn't prove that they did anything. And then he recounted getting death threats while he was a player in Winnipeg and worrying about how he was going to have to explain all that to his kids, worrying for their safety to the point where they stationed a police officer outside of his house when he was, when he was away at away games. Mike Hogan did a couple uh, great articles. Uh, one, he talked to Sammy Tranks, where he, he talked about the his experiences um, and primarily how he didn't really see see any of it because until he got to to college because he was a black man living in a almost wholly black neighborhood. And how he's got to have the t- the the talk that parents shouldn't have to have with their kids, but they do in the, st- the U.S. And then you have Isaiah Cage, who his whole life plan was to play professional football, then to become a police officer. He's now rethinking that path because of this. Like I, I, I know that we, as three white guys, can't really understand what's going on. But I, this, this, this whole situation where we just makes me angry. It's not just you. It makes me angry because, like, I was brought up in a way of. Treat your treat your neighbor and treat treat other people like you would want to be treated. And the fact that this is still going on, it's like what like what the hell have we been doing? As as, as not as not as a race as a species, what the hell have we been doing? Well. It's- and there's a lot of disturbing things that come out of this, but what is, I guess, one of the understated, more disturbing things is, you know, you mentioned, you know, what I understand, they have to have these conversations, like, this is how you should act if you're stopped by police or something like that. Whereas, we don't really have to have that conversation with our children. Because, you know, the color of our skin dictates that we're never going to have to worry about it in a way that other, you know, that people of color might have to. And I think the point is, like, that conversation should never have to happen at all. Yeah. And I I know I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of listening over the last little while. (laughs) 
and I guess I could say I've been li- I've lived a sheltered life because it's because a lot of the stuff I the more stuff I read and the more stuff I learn the more the more angry I get. Yeah, I can I can remember growing up, you know, and and I, I'm going to fully accept that you know I have the 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 privilege of being white in this, you know. I, Growing up in multiple different cities, in Regina, if you know you, you were black, you at least in my bubble, you were likely related to a Rough Rider, or you played for the Rough Riders, and literally every black person I knew was that. There were no other black people that weren't related. And what I just, what it, it blows my mind because I always put these people up on more of a pedestal because that's what I saw. I had friends in the indigenous community who I'm come to find out now they, they faced all kinds of racial injustice towards them just because of the color of their skin. And where they where their what their background dictated, but I never saw that. They kept that hidden. And you know, I don't know why my eyes weren't open to this and what's going on a long time ago, but they are now. And I'm going to assure that my kids' eyes are opened. And my eyes will stay open. My ears will stay open as well. Until they don't have to be anymore. Well said. I mean, if something, I know if something happens, same thing, same thing as I'm just going to echo what Clay said. If something happens and it, and I'm in the, and I'm in the neighborhood, I'll be there to do, I'll be there to be, be an ally and, and nip it right in the bud. Because it should, because in this, it's the 21st century, this kind of shit shouldn't be happening. Isn't a zero sum game either. I mean, I know as Canadians, sometimes we like to say, oh, well, we're not America. But that doesn't mean that, you know, Canada has its own history. That's some of it's not very. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've... For lack of, you know, let's put it mildly. So, you know, we always got, instead of, you know, oh, we're not America, you know, keep your ears open and your eyes, wait, here, keep your eyes open and your ears tuned to, you know, some of what's going on in this country as well. And, and thankfully, or well, not thankfully, but hopefully... 
what's going on in the U.S. And now, the, and the, the one thing that we, you know, everybody harped on in initially was the rioting and the looting in all this. Well, that is pretty much given way to the peaceful protesters, the ones that are actually out there trying to, to make a difference. And, you know, I hope that they continue protesting. You know, we had a march in, in, in my small town of Georgetown on, on Sunday. I saw that. And, you know, I hope that these protests keep happening until there is change. You know, this is not, okay, we're, 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 we're done with this. No, this is something about bettering the life, or just equaling the lives. Yeah, I know we had ours, I think a couple of weeks, and we had ours out in my neck of the woods, I think last week. All right, and uh, with that said, uh, we are going to bring on Darius Blodick, one of our new offensive linemen. All right, we welcome Darius Blodick, our newest offensive lineman to your Toronto Argonauts and to the Argos FanCast. Welcome to the Argos FanCast. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited for this. <laughs> now... I just want you know how how are you handling everything that's going on uh, right now with uh, you know COVID and and uh, the civil uprising and everything like that going on right now? Um, I'm handling it as best and as smart as I could. I mean, <clears throat> I'm down here in Florida, so like the gyms have been open roughly about a month now. It's going to be coming up on a month almost. Um, and honestly, at first it was particularly kind of scary, you know, cause you know, I got family members, I got people that you know, have underlying health issues. And for me personally, I, I wasn't too fearful. Um, I've never been one to really get sick too much, but I did, I definitely took this, uh, this pandemic seriously. Um, so for me, I was going to the gym really late at night. I would normally go late at night and just, or really early in the morning when there was no real foot traffic. Uh, the gym I go to, it's sort of discreet. It's not as um, popularized as more commercial gyms are out there. So that was working well for me. And then everything else that's going on with trying to support what's going on around this country here or in North America, more or less. Um, you know, I, I feel like I just try to be smart about it. I voice my opinion. You know, I sit here and I support where support's due. But going out and about and uh, risking the chance of spreading COVID when everyone else is really just trying to get back to to regular life as they can, you know, and not have to be scared to go out and have social, you know, uh, you know, social times with your friends, families, you know, loved ones, or just going out and about and trying to enjoy yourself, you know, get some mental health there. So uh, it's been interesting. I mean, it's something that no one could really prepare for, but I think I've handled it fairly well. Now, how are you guys uh, staying connected with the, the Argos team and your, your, your fellow players? Um, well, email is a major thing, of course, like when it comes to especially a lot of stuff going on right now um, with finding out what's going on with the league um, in this season. That's that's been stressful. But um, that we have mobility classes that we do together. We were doing meetings, but then as like I think uh, positions in general, I know the offensive line was meeting, but we ended up uh, canceling that because the CFLPA said everything that's going on, so on and so forth. 
Um, so we canceled that. We had that going on. We had about like eight to 10 meetings, I would think. And then um, mobility, we do once a week, which is nice. You know, all of us, I mean, there's a good, normally on average, is about 20 plus guys that are in there. We're working with Josh and the people of the training staff and we're really working on mobility and just trying to make sure that when the season does come about that, you know, that we're in a physical, we're in good shape and that we're not like, you know, too tight where we're going to tear something. Because normally when these things happen, if there was lockouts in the past, injuries go up, um, just it messes with every athlete sort of, uh, you know, clock that six month period where you come home and you're feeling good. And it's like, OK, now I got to start the plateau, whereas, you know, that didn't happen. You know, we went on a drop and then you had to sort of get a new gain and coming back to plateau and up into that point. And it's even tougher now because we don't even have an answer. You know, I mean, I'm at the gym and I'm working hard, but I mean, we have an idea. So for me, I would start training my two days right before like August started coming. So if we start having camp, I'll be prepared. But I mean, even then, that's not solidified. That's not something that anybody knows is going to stick. I think it's just something there to give us an idea, if anything. Okay, now getting back to some, you know, le- less serious stuff. Your your journey, well, not really less serious, but uh, just a little bit lighter. Uh, your journey to the CFL was a was a little bit unique, especially uh, as you qualify as a Canadian. But uh, I mean, you've never lived here. Um, you know, your your mother is uh, from Montreal. Is that correct? Yes, the Montreal area. Yeah. So and. You know, it wasn't uh, until you had a conversation with the Calgary Stampeders that you started the process of uh, of getting your dual citizenship. You know, what was it with the conversation with the Stampeders that kind of made the, the CFL seem like a, a viable option for you? Well, for me personally, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, I love I love the game of football. I love I love the sport and any opportunity for me to continue playing. What outside of the NFL, I mean, that was something for me that was really special no matter what. I'm, I'm a grateful person. I work very hard for what I what I have in my life and what I have accomplished. So for me personally, um, that was another opportunity for me to sort of branch out and, you know, be a professional, find another way to play the game that I want, that I love so much. Um, and another thing was it was intriguing. I didn't I didn't know anything about the ratio status. I didn't I didn't understand what it what value would bring to me if I was considered a national um, of course, it was a tough decision because at the time, I really wanted to go play football. And um, they were like, oh, well, once you become, you know, considered an American, like you, even if you get your dual citizenship, you cannot be considered a national next year, um, which was very interesting to me. And I, I had to trust some people that I had in my corner. I had to trust the people that I was working with. Um, I had to trust the scenario. You know, I had a great family that supported anything I did, really. Um, and then we, we said, you know, what, we'll wait and we'll get the dual citizenship you know they explained to me how valuable that could be and i mean at the end of the day it was like one of those things where it was like do i want to be happy right now or do i want to be happy for a long time and that was something for me that i could actually you know get to finally enjoy that part of my life that i never really got to see because my mom was adopted you know my mom was brought to the states um my father's from poland so i've never been to poland either that's a place that I would love to be in. Hypothetically speaking, if there was a league in Poland and this was the same scenario, I would love to be there. Um, there's a lot of great things, good beer, good food there. But um, this has been this has been awesome. And um, for me, it was a chance for me to really dive in, commit to it. And um, I'm, I'm happy I made that decision. At first, it was scary and I was I was really worried about it. 
Um, but yeah, when Calgary reached out in that moment, I was I was thinking, you know, like most guys, like the NFL is going to happen. I was talking to more than a handful of NFL teams. I believed I was going to get drafted. Um, I had a bunch of, you know, free agent camps and I had opportunities to go to a bunch of camps. I had my, my pick in for over eight teams. So, I mean, at that time, I was like, oh, everything's going to be great. You know, like even if things didn't work out with the Ravens. So I was respectful and I told them, you know, I got to see what happens with the NFL, of course. And um, after the NFL didn't stick through and the Ravens really fell through after they got Jake Long and so on and so forth, um, I told myself, okay, I got to make this decision. And, you know, I'm thankful that I did to this day because I'm still getting to play ball and I'm still getting to travel the country. And I honestly have indulged in it. My family's loved it. It's, it's been a real great experience. What was the Canadian football rule that took, uh, I guess, what was the rule that took the most getting used to when you came up to play up here? I I want to say the yard. I, I, I know that's not really a rule per se, but in general, sort of having that yard off the ball, I think when it came to translate it, like, you know, everything else, it's a little bit different to guys, you know, the rules that they have about, um, you know, the rouge and all that. But for me personally, it was the yard, the patience that you had to have. I mean, that was the biggest, you know, difference for me. You know, down here in the States, I um, mean, you're right on the line. And, you know, guards, and normally we set it like the belt buckle of the centers down here. Um, so there's normally that gap. But now, like, that gap's even larger when you're doing that in the CFL. And it was so crazy for me to sort of get used to having so much patience and being used to sort of having the weight. And it was such a pass-friendly league, you know, don't get me wrong, I've had my fair share of some great rushers that I've played with, and uh, I'm very, you know, those were some great times, but, um, you know, it is a pass-friendly league, whereas, you know, coming from where I'm from, I mean, we ran the ball, I mean, if we had 60 plays, we probably ran the ball like 45 times, I mean, that just, I'm the team I played for in college, so it was a really big difference, um, just getting, you know, acclimated to that, learning the patience, you know, being able to play with leverage, understanding the depth of pockets with my guys. Um, I think the real wake-up call for that, like my first preseason game was against Winnipeg, and I didn't really notice anything. I was really excited. I was like, oh, this is great. And then I played BC, and they were running a crap ton of stunts. And uh, I'm just like, my tackle's all the way back there. My center's in front of me. I'm like up on the line. I mean, I, it was a real shit show. So <laughs> at that moment, I, I it was like, I was on the sideline like this guy. Seriously, I was just like, holy crap. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Like, I just couldn't get comfortable. And I think as a player, as an athlete, that is like the toughest thing when you you just can't find a groove. You can't find that niche, and especially because I was so young to the game. Um, but in time, you know, now I sort of have a giggle and a laugh whenever I see other, you know, offensive linemen come up or defensive linemen that are big studs, you know, down in the States. And then they come up here and, they step off that ball expecting contact and then their chest is this high up and you just got to sit down give them a good punch and they ain't going to go nowhere. So for me, that was the biggest man, in my opinion. Was there somebody who kind of took you under your, under their wing to try and, you know, teach you a little bit more about uh, the nuances of the Canadian game? Um, yeah, you know, to a point, I mean, I, I was, I was thankful enough to play with, you know, three phenomenal guys. I mean, possibly all going to be Hall of Fames. Peter, you know, Peter Donkowski, uh, Brandon Labatt, you know, Dan Clark, all those guys that played in this league a very long time are very successful players. 
and um, just stand-up guys. I mean, I, I really just tried to learn as much as I can from them, just get to understand as much as I could. At the time, um, Coach Soros, the offensive line coach we had in Saskatchewan, it was his first year in the CFL as well. So even him, I mean, he was he was accustomed to state ball and, you know, how we do things down here. Um, so he was even learning from them. It was kind of interesting, you know, to have that veteran presence in the room. And it made such a, a huge difference for me and, you know, to have so much more respect for the guys that came from before me. Because I think, you know, down here, you don't know as much about the CFL's history. You don't understand, you know, who's came before you and how the league was and the stories of the beers in the locker rooms and, you know, how, how different it used to be, you know, and how the league was viewed. And if when you don't, when you don't know that and you're coming up for the first time, I mean, of course, I had a different perspective than any regular American because, um, you know, I was Canadian and I did take a lot of pride in it, even though, you know, I never knew my mother's side of the family because she was adopted. That wasn't my choice. That was just life. Um, so for me, I definitely wanted to indulge as much as I could and to learn as much as I could. Um, my agent at the time, he's Canadian, Fred. He's amazing. He gave me as much, you know, sort of heads up, especially head to Saskatchewan where the fan base there, everybody there. It's crazy, you know. Um, and yeah, so for me personally, uh, those three guys in the room, when it came to really getting to learn the guys that came before and understanding what's going on and how closely knit the CFL is and sort of how, you know, some people go from being a player right into being a coach and then they work their way all the way up. And it's kind of crazy. You don't you don't realize that. Um, so, yeah, those guys, I, I credit them sort of breaking the ice for me and really teaching me about, like, who's came before me, what's what the CFL's about, what to expect, like, you know, not to get too high, not to get too low, you know, no games ever out of hand, you know, literally. You, I mean, Toronto had a hell of a comeback this year. That was that was crazy. I remember watching that Toronto game against Winnipeg. I was like, holy crap. Um, and that's, you know, sometimes you forget how quick you could score in these games. So. Uh, yeah, that, those were the three guys that really, when it came, I mean, of course there's other guys like that, that is Coleman and guys that I played with, but you know, those guys, those three have been around so much. I learned so much from them. You know, you want to sort of emulate what they do. They've been doing it for so damn long and each one of them were special in their own way. So now in terms of coming to the Argos, um, in free agency, how did that kind of all come to play? Um, I think it came down to just trust and, and value, you know, um, and, and location, location is huge as well. I mean, for me personally, let, let's talk about location to make it, you know, simple and get that over with. I have a lot of family in New Jersey. I actually have a cousin that lives in downtown Toronto. Um, and a lot, and then a lot of my, my personal family, you know, is down here in Florida. So for them to come visit me um, and for them to come see me, it'll be so much easier. It'll be easier for me to go see my grandfather that lives in Jersey. Um, I had some scenarios the years past that there were some health issues and I lost my grandmother. And, you know, sometimes you just sit there and you you think to yourself, like, you wish you had a little bit more time with them, even though you spent as much as you could, per se. So for me, location was huge. You know, if I needed to get to Jersey or if I needed to go see um, my grandfather or immediate family. I have a lot of cousins and, uh, you know, family members, you know, distance cousins that really look up to me, that love what I do, that I've sort of taught them the game of CFL. And, you know, they all talk about me being a football player. Not many of them are my size, but, you know, they, they're, they're dedicated in their sports. And especially in my family, sports, like soccer was one thing, but my mom's side loved football. But a lot of my cousins on my dad's side, 
um, Polish people really they weren't like really adapted into sports or they weren't like football. Like it was kind of scary. You know, soccer was the really the only thing or tennis or running. So for me, when I went to school for football and I started doing all these athletic things and, you know, a lot of my family saw how, you know, how good it could be and like the life that it could bring them if they work hard for it. So a lot of the kids, a lot of like my little cousins, they all talk to me and um, I always give them as best words to the wise. Um, so for me, that was important, you know, maybe to have a chance for them to come up to the games. That meant a lot to me. Um, Toronto's a beautiful city. Toronto has such a culture to it. It's so diverse. And um, I was really excited about getting into that, especially being out west for so long or so long. Three years go fast now, but um, <laughs> it goes too fast. But that was like one thing. Another thing was value. Um, I was coming off an injury um, the year before. I uh, came out of that rookie year, and then I was going into my sophomore year, having a phenomenal year. Uh, I was really growing every game, and I felt really good. Unfortunately, I tore my MCL like three weeks out of the playoffs against Winnipeg. And then the next year, first game of the year against Hamilton on the goal line, um, we have a, someone messes up on a blocking assignment, and I end up tearing my knee again. It wasn't as bad, but, you know, I tore it. And for me personally, um, they were telling me I was supposed to be out longer, I rushed to come back for the team. And when I came back, I allowed our rookie, like I was asked like about like where I would want to play. And I said, you know, like what's what's the best scenario for us? Oh, well, it would be best if we leave this rookie here and you flip to the other side. And for me, I, I could play on either side of the ball. I could play center. I could play guards. I'm comfortable anywhere. And I understood the playbook. So I said, okay, that's cool. You know, we go on a 7-1 run. We have a great time. Um, I'm performing. Everything's great. And then – one of our veterans, Brandon LeBac, came back and, you know, there was like rotating and all this other stuff. And by all means, you know, the, the rookie for us, Dakota Shepley, played well. But at the end of the day, you know, for me coming back from an injury and sort of where I was and me playing on the other side of the ball and moving to that side and sort of doing what I did and working hard for this team to get back. And I wanted us to win. I wanted to be successful outside of my own personal endeavors. I mean, I was really committed to the team, committed to, you know, everyone. Um, and when I didn't get the starts at the end and I was healthy and I didn't get the play, um, that, that left a bad taste in my mouth and it, it sort of made me feel like I couldn't trust the situation. You know, there was too much in doubt. There was too much question mark. I love competition. I, I mean, that's the name of the game. If you can't, if you don't like competition, you shouldn't be playing this damn game. Um, but at the end of the day, when it came to the dollar amounts coming through, I mean, I had a, a, a about about half the league that I was in contact with. So I had places that wanted me. Um, Toronto, just at the end of the day, you know, from the first dollar amount they sent me, from, you know, John Murphy knowing me, he drafted me. Um, you know, Stephen McAdoo, he was my offensive coordinator with Saskatchewan. You know, there was a lot of uh, Coach J-Jack, you know, he, another guy that I worked with my rookie year, people that I really enjoyed being around, coaches that I trust, coaches that, you know, I know what they're getting from me and then I know what I'm getting from them. And that that's always, it makes the transition easier when you're going to a new team um, that, you know, has their own staff or has their own guys that have been around there. You know, Jamal Campbell's been around here. I'm looking forward to working with him. I'm looking forward to working with a lot of guys on this line um, and just overall with the team. But there are a lot of new faces. And for me, when you have some familiar faces, it makes it a little bit easier to just get um, situated. And even now with COVID, uh, I mean, I would never have thought when I made this decision that we would be going through this. But, I mean, now I'm even more happier because it's going to be less of a transition for me. I mean, I've been talking to Matt and talking to 
you know, the quarterbacks. I've been talking to whoever I can to sort of get familiar. So when we do have a season, because that's how my mindset right now, um, you know, we'll sort of be on the same page. But I think for a lot of guys, it's going to be business. But yeah, those are the main things. Uh, Toronto valued me right away. And they made it a president to make sure that there was a good deal on the table that was competitive. Uh, then New Saskatchewan was going to be putting up some good numbers. And then there's like BC and so on. But, um, yeah, it came down to Saskatchewan and Toronto. And at the end of the day, I was looking forward to a new start. I was looking forward to a challenge. You know, the last three years we've gotten close to Saskatchewan, but we've never finished. Um, in Toronto, you know, I felt like they had some great pieces. I felt like, you know, city of Toronto is amazing. And I felt like there's a chance that we could be really successful there, especially with the mindset of the coaching staff that we had. I, I was I was excited for it. I mean, I didn't even think about the record they had last year. So, um, yeah. Uh, that's what really made me want to, what made Toronto stick out, made me really want to commit to the sign in here. That's cool. Um, okay, you did mention that your that your father was Polish, and me personally, I'm half Polish as well on my mom's side. Gotcha. Um, and I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to, I just wanted to ask. I'm going to tap into that Polish side a little bit. What's your favorite pierogi flavor? My favorite pierogi flavor. Yeah. Uh, we literally just made a shit ton of these the other day. Excuse my French. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah, like we when we make them homemade, we go we go hard. Um, I, I really am a fan of a lot of them, but I, I'm just gonna go like the classic one. Um, you know, the cottage cheese and the potato, and you know when you really get a good mixture there and a good texture, then the dough is really good. And then you have like the butter on top with like the onions that have been sitting there all day in the pan. And then you got the really thick cut bacon that you get in the bits. Mm-hmm. You put them on top. It just adds that crunch. I mean, I like putting some sour cream on top. I don't like dipping. I like put it on top and I add some pepper because I like a little bit more kick to me. Um, but I, I love them all, honest to God. Uh, not a huge mushroom fan. Fun fact. Not a huge mushroom fan. It's a Polish man, and that's a problem in my household because uh, it's mushroom soup. There's literally mushrooms in everything. Oh yeah, uh, totally. So that's I'll actually eat the cabbage uh, pierogies with some of the like mushroom, like diced into it or minced into it. Those I'll, I'll do. Um, that's how much I love pierogies. And then my dad, we even make like dessert ones where we'll um, we'll like put blueberries in them or strawberries. And then we'll use like some sugar water with it. And man, I'm telling you, like, you know, like that bloated feeling when you eat too many warm pierogies. It's like, oh, geez, like, oh, yeah, I yeah. Can do more, but I shouldn't. You get one or two <laughs> and they make you feel a little bit healthy and it sort of expands your stomach because of the sugar. And then you can eat some more. So uh, that's normally <laughs> like the way I go for it. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm the same way, man. I'm, <laughs> I'll be honest. It's like. Like pretty much every every sort of pierogi stuff, and I've had it. We actually out where I live, we have a uh, a fast food pierogi place, and they and it's like and homemade. They they pretty much make make them there. They boil them there. They fry them up, and then you say, okay, what kind of fixings you want? It's like green green onions, bacon, uh, onion, whatever else. I'm like, yeah, just load it up. <laughs> just load just load it up. Those are always fun. I think um, I was in Toronto. I was with my cousin. She's, you know, her both her parents are Polish. And um, I can't remember the place we went to, but it was like 
small place, straight pierogi, sort of like you're talking. And there was just every option of a pierogi I could have ate. And I, I literally ordered like three different kinds because I was like, well, you can't just come here and order. I'm not going to just order the classic. I do that for a living. I need some you know, kick here and there. So, you know, the ones <laughs> with like the, the German style where they have like the sausage across. So it was fun. I, I mean, yeah, yeah Toronto, that's another thing. Toronto has so much good food and I'm, I'm excited about that. Like, even if we have the hub cities, I mean, then I'll make it work because I love playing football more than I love eating. But it's very close. It's very close, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, one one day I'll uh, we'll have to get you out to a tailgate. We'll we'll start really early so you can get out there, and uh, I'll make my my grandmother's Ukrainian deep fried pierogies. Oh, uh, don't tease me now. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't ate dinner. <laughs> well, these I've I've been I've been trying to find the find this recipe to see if it was just my grandmother who made it up, or if it's you know I have not found it anywhere, and she created this dough that has uh, dry curd cottage cheese in the dough, so it uh, it uh, gives it a completely different texture, and it's just fantastic. Wow. But uh, but yeah, we'll have to start. Uh, a, we'll have to do a really early tailgate so you can uh, come out and enjoy them sometime. I'll just put that in my next contract with Toronto. Like <laughs> as a little like, like must be allowed extra time pre-game to grab some deep fried pierogies. <laughs> I, they can't get pissed at me. Like there's no way I'm just gonna be sort of greasy up on the fingers. But hey, that ain't bad. It'll it'll stop me from holding. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, there you go. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> now, now we kind of want to, since we're on a little bit of high, we're going to finish with uh, some, uh, some rapid fire questions. And I, and I just, you kind of get your initial reaction, uh, quick, quick answers on these. So are you ready to go? I will do my best quick. Thinking. Okay. Here we go. All right. All right. What is your favorite field to play on in the CFL? Honestly, it's crazy, but Toronto, because it's grass. And I, I yeah, Toronto, because of the grass, it, the cleats sink a lot better. And I don't have to worry about the end zones because I don't, I don't catch the ball. You know, we have Jamal Campbell could do that, but I don't catch the ball. So, <laughs> so yeah, I love the grass. It's better on my feet. Um, and I, it just, it helps overall. Like, man, you play on turf so long, you just, some days you just get up and your feet ache. So go with the grass. Besides pierogies, what's your go-to cheat meal? Cheat meal? Pizza. Oh, I'm pizza. Yeah, pizza. Any pizza. All pizza. Meat lovers pizza. Pizza. (laughs) All right. Favorite movie or Netflix TV show? Oof. Shite. Favorite? (sighs) See, this is always tough for me. Um, Okay, what 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 do you... what are you interested in? What did you see? Just a recently good one, or is there a show you're binge watching right now? I mean, there's a couple shows I've been watching. I mean, I watched all of Dexter. I mean, if that counts, Dexter's awesome. Yep. Um, I saw Dexter. Um, I'm trying to think of anything I'm watching right now, to be honest. I mean, of course, um, I watch like all the football ones, all the sports stuff, but I don't. I'm, I when it comes to a favorite movie, when it comes to a favorite series, I'm not. I'm not so into that as much as I am when it comes to like, you know, what's the perfect one for me or what was life changing for me personally. I just enjoy them. So I'm sorry. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> tough. I don't I can't give you one off the top. All right. What what's the best CFL road trip? Best CFL road trip. 
Well, shoot, it used to be when Coach Jones would have us stay out in the East for a week. Those were awesome. When we would play Toronto and then Ottawa or Ottawa and then Toronto, we would stay a whole week. And, I mean, it was it was such a culture change from Saskatchewan. That was, like, honestly my favorite. But I think that was unique just to us. If I had to pick one, um, I would have to go BC. Because when we would go to BC, we would stay that extra day. They have some phenomenal Asian food. And um, this, the city of Vancouver, it's just, it's just a different ambiance about it, walking around. I, I like the vibe there. It's, it has a cool vibe. Good food. And finally, you, you being from Florida, where's some place in Florida that everyone needs to go that tourists wouldn't normally think about going? Hmm. Um, honestly, I'm going to say Itchnatucky Springs. I, I, I'll explain for a second. I was about to throw a pitch out for the gym I'm training at because <laughs> they call it the world's famous gym. It's a Kissimmee and it's actually a map you put things down, but, and I hold the record for squat and I put Toronto, Ontario instead of Kissimmee, Florida, because you know, represent, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's other Canadians that actually have records, but, um, yeah, I would say Itchnatucky Springs. It's, it's uh springs are beautiful i mean of course you guys know what i'm talking about natural flow of water but the special thing about itchnatucky is that there's so many springs attached to it there's about four springs attached to it on the river so there's no gators which is very rare in florida um the kayaking is not expensive and you can literally like you don't even have to paddle and it will take you down the stream for over i mean uh, two hours plus you could jump out by some of the other springs there's the devil's eye springs it's beautiful it's a great thing to experience if you love nature, if you love just getting out and about and sort of feeling like you're around nothing. You just could take some time to let loose. Great place to have fun. Good vibes. Um, you know, of course, there's people drinking, there's people barbecuing, there's people eating, there's people throwing the balls around. But when you hop on that river, you'll you'll understand. You'll be thankful for me telling you this because there's normally gators. St. John's Rivers, be careful. Crap ton of gators. Had some crazy stories there. Uh, but this one, it's 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 awesome, guys. Um, honestly, it's the most beautiful springs in sort of the area I've ever had down here. And I, I travel as much as I could to springs. So Itchnatucky Springs, it, it's like sort of um, north of, northeast, northwest of Gainesville, Florida, where UF is. So if you head up there, it's a little bit in the middle of nowhere. But if you were going on a road trip, I recommend it. Stop if you're on your way to the Panhandle. Stop if you're coming over to the East Coast. If you want to go hang out at UF and go tailgate there, it's crazy. Um, it's a place to stop, in my opinion. All right. Thank you very much, Darius. And uh, it, with you mentioning a couple of these stories, we'll have to get into those uh, at another time. And we're going to definitely have to have you back on. This was a lot of fun. Thank no, you. thank you guys so much. It's, it's good to talk football with guys, know what I'm talking about down here. You know, I, I I mean, Marcus Thigpen, me and him hung out. We worked out at a gym when he was here. But, I mean, I miss it. I miss – I mean, I think we all miss it as fans of the CFL and, you know, people that we love this game. It's It just feels empty not being up there. It feels empty sort of not watching the games or, you know, going at it right now. Um, I miss it. I, I truly do miss it, guys. So I appreciate it. I appreciate talking some fun here and talking about the game that we all care so much about. All right, thank you very much, Darius. And you thank have you. a good rest of your night and go enjoy your, your supper now. 100%. I'm literally going to go eat pizza. Guys, have a great <laughs> one. Good night, everyone. You too. Good night. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. No problem. All right, and that was Darius Bladdock, our new offensive guard. 
And, uh, well, as he said, he's going to leave the, uh, the pass catching to Jamal Campbell. He's an awesome guy. I like him. Yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah. And yeah, definitely going to have to have him back on. Um, especially cause he mentioned some of those St. John's river gator stories. Gonna have to get in some of that. Mm. Well, yeah, like it's even behind our like place down there, you get the occasional gator in the pond and it's always an event. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's better better in the pond than coming up through the toilet. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess, the, you know, the, the, the fun had to end sometime. Um, the latest going on, trying to figure out when the CFL is going to play again. Um, uh, we know right now the earliest is uh, September. Um, but there's been a little bit of a hiccup in that, I I believe. Um, the PA is saying that they haven't heard from the league about, uh, how they're going to do the restart. And, uh, the league is saying that they've talked to the players. So it's a little strange what's going on right now um, in uh, Randy Ambrosi's tenure. Uh, the other thing that uh, just came out was that the uh, the CFL is going to be adjusting its football operations cap uh, for 2021. They're going to reduce it. Uh, from five point or sorry, two point five eight eight million to two million for the two twenty twenty one season, and uh, and they're also going to reduce the number of coaches from eleven to nine. Uh, I think that's going to be a little bit uh, tough for some teams, and it's a it's yeah, I guess they're tightening their purse strings, I guess. Yeah. That was probably the easiest thing they could tighten because they, you know, there's no CBA, I guess, with coaches. Not no. yet. Yeah. No. Not yet, but I mean, you know, they they continue doing this. I'm. You gotta think that there might be. Yeah. Yeah. This no, is. I mean, it's it's. I don't know. There's so many variables just going. It's it's sort of like. I mean, he's gone to the government for funding. Yep. I mean, he's got a... I don't know if he has to... But the question is, is this the Board of Governors telling him to do this, or is he just doing it unilaterally? That's, yeah, the, big, that's the big question, because the commissioner was put there by the Board of Governors. Yeah. So, really, I mean, I understand commissioners aren't meant to be people that are lo- that are generally liked, right? No. We've had we've had we've been lucky the last few years, right? Even though even though we did have Orange, but even then he wasn't fully booed out of a building like a Batman or a Goodell. But people loved 
people love, love Kohan. Yeah, yeah. And, and people, and I'm surprised Ottawa hasn't erected a statue in his honor yet over at uh, over at TD Place. But um, I mean, we don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of cloak and dagger stuff going on that we honestly have no idea what's going on behind the scenes right now. And there seems to be, I mean, I think that's one of the things the CFLPA has brought up is, you know, we're not really being consulted on this. And I think they sent out a survey to the players uh, either today or yesterday, just, you know, trying to get the pulse of where the you know players are at right now. Mm-hmm. Because there does seem to be quite a bit of friction there between CFL and CFLPA. I think it was over. Uh, of course, they're not getting their bonuses, I guess, right? Yeah. And the CFLPA has officially filed their, their grievance on that. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of strange things all of a sudden coming out yeah. of this. And, I mean, you know, you know, we... we we thought about it, you know, or we mentioned it. Is it the board of governors pulling the strings and telling Ambrosia what to do? Or is it, uh, you know, Ambrosia doing it on his own? And the only thing that, that this feels like is, you know, when you're almost in, in management in a, in a company and there's some, decisions and strategic things that need to be done but your upper manager your the senior management is telling the middle management that they can't tell the employees this until they have everything in in, and that's that's what this is feeling like you know that you know it, it almost seems like maybe he wants to say something but he's not allowed to It's it's just a weird situation all around. But I mean, baseball. So I mean, it just well, ba- baseball. Don't even get started with that because yeah, that's just because just... that to me just reeks of pure greed on on one, at least one side. Just don't have us. I mean, it's we knew this was going to be. It's uncharted times. Yeah. It's not some, I mean, people got to remember that. They don't know. A lot of people don't know how to navigate through what's going on right now. No. I think it's easy to finger point, but I think that has to be kept in mind. Yeah, these are unprecedented times. Because we haven't seen something like this. Well, I know none of us have seen it in our lifetimes, and it's been at least three or four generations since something like this has come around. So, and from what I can tell in some of the news stories, they have been making progress, but it's still like we're not out of the woods in this. We're not out of the woods with this, not by a long shot. No. No, not by a long shot at all. Um, I, mean, I mean, the only country that's got it right so far has been New Zealand, and even then, and even then, they've got two. They got two new cases recently, but they were it. But they were able to contract trace, and they're not going to reactivate their 
emergency clauses. So, so at least they're still they're still in celebratory mode right now. <laughs> yeah. Now, with all that, Will, are you back from taking your Zantac? Couldn't find it. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> all right. Now, with all that, uh, we need some more semblance of normalcy. So, you know, we... we kind of had a discussion that we decided we're 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 going to go ahead with reviewing games and we're going to start this week since we were playing we were supposed to be playing ottawa this week we're going to start with the toronto argonauts at the ottawa rough riders from 1996 Well, if you could give us a little bit of history about this, this game. Okay, so this is it, it's so to sort of preface it, we're we're as Clay said, we're watching a game that would have other, you know, that was going to be against that week's opponent, whoever the Argos were scheduled to play, uh, trying to keep true to whether that game was home or away. Uh, this game really isn't the only significance to this game. Really, is it's the last game the Argos played at Frank Clear Stadium before the uh, Rough Riders or the Ottawa football franchise folded for the first time. Um, another thing, I guess, to just preface this, we're, we're, we're sort of limited to what games are available on through CFL.ca or on YouTube. Um, so uh, the Argos, of course, had Big signing of the 1995-96 offseason was Doug Flutie from Calgary. And that should speak for itself. Best player in the history of the league coming to uh, Toronto. Uh, this was, as I said, Ottawa's last uh, season in the league for the Rough Riders. And, uh, you know, they, they, they were hurting uh, financially and they were hurting... You know, for they'd been hurting for a long time on the field, um, so that sets up this game. The Argos had uh, the Argos were coming into this game. They'd only lost once so far uh, in week two, um, so they were coming into this game with a record of six and one while the Rough Riders were coming in with a record of not good, <laughs> as was common for that era. Yes. So we sort of wanted to do a, a good, bad, or Clay, you wanted to, you wanted to summarize the game up a little bit? Yeah, first. yeah, like we, like we normally do. So, uh... so this, yeah, yeah, this, uh, I'll just say the date. This game was played August 15th, 1996 at Frank Clair Stadium before 15,000. 220 people. So this past Thursday, the Toronto Argonauts outlasted the Ottawa Rough Riders 42 to 19, which was, it's something odd to say for 1996 uh, in that they, the Ottawa Rough Riders hung around for the, the first half. And then they just completely went away in the second half. The Argos showed up 
and dominated. Doug Flutie ended the game with 332 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, the big man on uh, the big little man for Toronto was Pinball Clemens, who had three combined touchdowns, uh, two through the air and one uh, on the ground. And uh, no, yeah. Sorry, two through two on the ground, one through the air. Uh, he led all receivers with 97 yards off seven catches, and uh, Robert Drummond led the led the way on the ground, 12 rushes, 55 yards, and uh, it, it was it seemed like a game, and even the commentators were a little bit confused as to why it was still a game at halftime. But in the third and fourth quarter, Toronto held Ottawa to. Just three points and scored three touchdowns and uh, a single and a field goal and, and just blew them out in this in the third and fourth quarter like they should have for that year. So let's get right into the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good. The bad. The ugly. The good, well, Doug Flutie, that goes without saying. But, yeah. uh, I mean, that was every game from him, Toronto. Uh, Robert Drummond, though. Um, I think he's the guy who we all hope James, you know, he's the guy we hope James, uh, his skill set was the skill set we hope, you know, James Wilder would pick up. Great runner, great receiver. And the guy was just so dominant to watch as a receiver oh. and as a running back. The speed, the strength. Um, I mean, this isn't his best game in an Argo uniform, but it was just so dominant. Like, with him and that offensive line, he was so dominant. Yeah, and that's... Uh, it- you know, looking at he had uh, 55 rushing yards and 57 through the air. So he had over 100 yards in the game. And he, I don't think he was brought down on first contact more than once in that game at all. He, he was a horse. He Ran through people. He made people miss. You know, it's it, it, yeah. He was he was one heck of a running back. Now, my good in this game um, was the fact that for one of the first times, I was actually able to appreciate Doug Flutie because during his playing days, I was almost always opposed to Doug Flutie. Uh, first being a lion and then being a uh, a stampeder, um, and then he went down to the U.S. and he was a Buffalo Bill. So many teams that I very, very, very much dislike. So even though when he was playing for Toronto, I still had a dislike for Doug Flutie. This game, I was able to actually appreciate, you know, what he was doing in that game and throwing just lasers, dropping them in and. The fact that he had no memory of anything bad that happened. 
he throws a pick six and then just literally his body language just looks like, okay, next, let's go next play. Let's go. Right. Like it was not, there was nothing in him that ever dwelled on anything that he did wrong. And, you know, I heard people, but that's the first time I've able ever able to recognize that. And I don't think I've seen somebody who did that as well as Doug Flutie did. It's interesting to watch these games, like in retro. Like it's, it's not that I'll call it boring. I mean, the Argos were kicking the shit out of some of these teams, like both years. Like it was like fifty to three or whatever. But it's just it's very methodical, you know. Twenty yards to Mazzotti, twenty yards to Tyrone Williams, fifteen yards to Jeff Fairholm, ten yard run by you know it's very just wear teams down. And I mean, even that pick six you mentioned, that was a tipped pass. Like it tipped off a few people's hands, but yeah, it's it was just we haven't had it any be- we haven't had it any better since. Sad to say that. So, what was your good in this, Doug? Oh, I think I'm just gonna go to default and say say pinball. <laughs> because he he had a hell of a game, and not only that, he was still he was still cutting promos and trying to get people to come out to the games on the sideline, even even though he's already had three touchdowns and <laughs> and uh, he's done he's done his bit for king and country. And next thing you know, he's saying, "Come on, come on, next, come out to our next home game because it'll be all because you'll get more of the same." And sure enough, you did. <laughs> that last one, that last touchdown, there was the one in the end, the the passing touchdown was quite. Flutie just sort of lobs it up, and sort of ca- he saw he catches it like over his shoulder there. And... Yeah, that was a thing of beauty. Yeah, yeah. Just, you bring up pinball though, because I think one of the early storylines for the art, like, so they they brought back Don Matthews of his coach, of course, and I think one of the early storylines of that season might have been is they couldn't fight figure out how to use pinball in that system yet because pinball went through a lot of like I guess phases as an Argo like he had his MLP season where I guess technically he was listed as a running back but he was always catching you know more than he rushed for I think he ran the ball a little bit more in those dark years like 92 to 95 but once Flutie came and Matthews came back I think it took some time for him to figure out what they wanted to do with pinball in that offense and I think that was the, one of the first games that he really broke out now bad for this game um, I mean there's not a whole lot on the Argo side uh guess they do let uh, Bobby Gordon, who I think is one of the other more underrated receivers in CFL history, beats, uh, was it Adrian Smith he beats for that touchdown? I don't really remember. But... Yeah, yeah, I believe it was Adrian Smith. Yeah, and then the pick six right afterward. Um, but, I mean, there's not really a whole lot on the, Ar- I mean, not a whole lot on the Argo side to say that was bad. No, I game. think, I think for me the bad was uh, how they uh, reacted to uh, 
Steve Taylor as the quarterback uh, for Ottawa as opposed to David Archer. Um, and, you know, it, it seemed like, you know, it was, you know, everybody was saying that David Archer leading up to the game was going to play in the game. Um, but he was extremely banged up and they ended up going with, uh, Stephen Archer or Stephen, uh, Taylor, yeah. who was a complete opposite of what yeah. David Archer, David Archer was your, your prototypical pocket passer. Yeah. You're not mobile. Whereas Taylor was uh, moving all over the place and, and, uh, and it took them a whole half to really adjust. They're about uh, almost two quarters to adjust. Where you, you think a team like that would be able to adjust a little bit quicker, but uh, but you know that's a, that's about as uh, bad as I could see. Yeah, I think the I mean the Steve Taylor. I'm just seeing how long he he does try. Is I mean he does try. You know, his hardest in this game. Um, I think the end of him in the game was sort of that early drive in the second half where, you know, they just sack him twice for big losses and then block that punt for the touchdown. Yep. That was really the end of. Just trying to see. He actually has a longer CFO. Okay, so this is interesting. Actually. Starts in Edmonton in 1989. Backs up Tracy Ham for a year or two. Goes to Calgary and backs up. Uh... Okay, so he actually may be starting. Maybe starting in another game. We'll be looking at. We could be looking at in this. So he backs up. He actually backs up Doug Flutie, and then he actually gets quite a bit of playing time in Hamilton. In 95, and pretty ugly statistics in uh, 1996 for Ottawa. 70 of 132 yard uh, passing for 977 yards, three touchdowns, and 13 interceptions. So pretty ugly. That was his last year in the league. But he had actually been around longer than I thought before. Yeah. Yeah, Doug, what was your bad? Uh, pretty much you guys have said what my bad was going to be. Um, yeah, I didn't like the fact that I knew how good the 96 team is. I didn't like the fact that they kind of rope-a-doped the first half to keep them within, to keep Ottawa in it for as long as they did. Um, but, other, but then they kind of woke up in the second half and just put the boots to them, which is what they should have done from minute one, to be perfectly honest. All right, well, Doug, since we took away your, your bad, what, what was your ugly? Hmm. That is a that is a tough one for me because um, I didn't really notice much of an ugly. I didn't really notice much of an ugly from, from the game standpoint. Well, I, I'm I'm gonna go. Other other than other than the sal- other than the salads that all the players were sporting, but uh, <laughs> but I guess that was I guess that was a style at the time. But um, really, there I didn't know I didn't really notice much of an ugly from the from what I saw. I agree. Well, <laughs> well, 
for from from taking from that the the uh, the salad sporting, I'm going to go on the fashion side as well. That <laughs> Ottawa logo was yeah. so damn ugly. Lanny McDonald with a spear through its head. Oh, Yosemite Sam. Yosemite Sam, Lanny McDonald, the the uh, the the dead Baron. Um, it just it it was. Unless you look close up at it, it was so hard to tell exactly what that was. There were, I think, there were a lot of bad logos in the mid '90s, but that one was was right up there. That and the CFL panel really did not have a lot of fashion sense. Um, you know, you 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 had. Uh, Leif Pedersen was probably the best dressed on there. Um, your, your standard '90s, you know, you know, multicolored print uh, tie. But then you had, <laughs> then you had Bob Obilovich wearing a cartoon tie, and Marty York wearing the 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 Texas bolo tie. Marty F and York. <laughs> I like. Oh dear God, there was some ugly fashion in the 1990s. My ugly is the turf. Oh. Oh, that looked... My knees hurt just looking at it. Oh. Yeah. I can I can feel the turf burn right now. And the Corel word perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that dates it so much. Oh. Corel uh, word perfect the, seven. Yeah. I haven't it heard... It was an Ottawa that, thing, right? Yeah, well, Corell's headquarters was in Ottawa. Yep. Corell's headquarters the was there. The, the, the original the original, uh, the original new arena, which is out in the middle of nowhere, was the Corell Center for the longest time. I mean, yeah. you, could have call, you could have called it the word perfect dome. It would have made, yeah. would have made perfect sense, too. Yeah. So one of the interesting things, actually, about... Um, we didn't talk anything about the defense. And that's an interesting theme. If we, I mean, if we do end up watching more 96, 97 team games. Uh, so Michael Shea isn't an Argo yet. He's still, I think, trying out for the Detroit Lions at this point. I think Reggie Givens lines up in the middle. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think Adrian and one of the other Smiths are there. Don Smith. Okay. I think it's Don. Lester's yeah. not there yet. Um, Tim Cofield, uh, had like twenty plus sacks the year before, was there. But uh, I guess the if you look at the statistics for the nineteen ninety six ninety seven Argo teams, very dominant. Not one of the player had more than ten sacks. No, huh. but I mean, when you think of they, they didn't need to. Yep. No. <laughs> right, you know, they're, they're, for a lot of the games, their their offense, they were up big. So they were, you know, relaxing a little bit on defense. So you'll see some, like, you'll see some of the, the, the statistics, and it'll look like that game should have been a lot closer, but you had a lot of, there was a lot of garbage time uh, that other teams played when they... It, they uh, played against Toronto. So 
you know, there, there was a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, that defense probably could have statistically looked a ton better, but they didn't have to. Cause, but they were like, you know, I was trying to place some of these names and I, you know, I hear, you know, on offense, you know, okay, you know, I, I you know, Fairholm, uh, Tyrone Williams, uh, uh, Morielli was, uh, was a young guy at the time. Uh, you know, like, you, you had all these guys that you knew on offense, but the defense, there weren't a whole lot of the, the, the guys that you would really remember, you oh. know, uh, outside of Givens and, um, and Adrian Smith. O'Shea once he comes. Yeah, and, yeah, but like they were a very good defensive team. Like there was no nobody who was carrying that team. They were everybody played their role perfectly. Don't forget about Raw. Well, I mean Don Donnie Wilson was there, and Ed Berry were back. Can't forget about those two. Yeah. But, you know, a guy like Rob Waldrop, he was only in Argo for a few years, but he was, I think, an Outland Trophy winner in the States, and he was really good. Uh, you know, who else is here? Uh, it, was a, it was a quarterback. Johnny Harris was a great halfback. Yeah. You know, he went to the NFL. And yeah, but it's, it, it's just got names you don't him. remember. Like, it's, you know, a lot of, ga- a lot of names on defense, you just don't necessarily yeah. re- remember but then when you start looking at like oh that was a he was a really good player he was yeah. a really good player but it just was a very blue collar defense let's just go in go to work and you know they 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 really weren't spectacular really they just they didn't play spectacularly they were i i think that, that probably could have been when you look at, you know, the talent that that team had and the cohesiveness that they had 96 and 97, those teams could have probably beat just about anybody in football, period. Like, they were some of the best teams ever put together. CFL, certainly. I don't know if I'd go as far to say the CFL team, but uh, considering this, Consider this, you know, backfields, Flutie can hand off the pinball or Robert Drummond. Team needs to punt. It's either going to be Jimmy the Jet or the pinball. Pick your poison. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that was fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to the, the next game that we do. So... We'll just talk about the uh, bit of a uh, suggestion we had from Jerry M on Argo fans. Thanks for the suggestion. Uh, so next week's classic game. Uh, so the Argos were scheduled to play Hamilton at home. So we will be putting a toll, uh, a toll poll. I'll put one on ArgoFans.com and then on Twitter, and then we can share it on other and uh, social media outlets is appropriate. I'll pick a few uh, Hamilton at Toronto games that are available on YouTube and put it to a vote to see which uh, 
teams are what fans would like to watch. Uh, if you have any particular comments about the game or memories, um, feel free to share. Um, the just a few, if I just look at a few comments on this game that I asked for. Um, Somebody in our site uh, said, any bias in favor of Argo victories will not be held against you. And why should it? The Argos are going 18 and 0. Yep. Just uh, 20 said, and know, 0. God, I loved watching that Flutie slash Matthews team perform. Um, and I know that might be a sacrilegious thing to say in Toronto right now, but I'm missing CFL football way more than any other sport in town. Um, Tobin wrote. Oh, I miss CFL football. I think we all do at this point. Yeah. There's not many things you can go to that, like, you can just randomly yell. I, I, I want to be able to do that in real life. I want to go and randomly yell at things just 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 for fun. Illegal procedure. Defense. They made the offense move. 5-yard penalty. First down repeated. Um It seems Three Down Nation has uh Take it upon itself to declare that the Argos are playing on a different playing field than anyone else. And have, you know, had quite a few analysis of, uh, of what happened. Um, for those of you who are not sure what's going on, uh, the Argos somehow went over the salary cap. <laughs> and as a result, should be, uh, should be fined under the rules of the uh, CFL. However, in, in an effort to allow as many teams as possible to retain as much income as possible. The CFL announced that it would not be fining teams uh, this this year for, uh, for salary cap um, infringements. And as a result, the Argos, who were the only team that, uh, that we saw that we saw Telephone on ungodly hour. I have no idea who that number is. Scam. <laughs> At this time of night? Even they know don't call after 9.30. All right. Getting back to our flag, they, they seem to have uh, stated that, uh, that if this were any other year or any other team, there would have been a fine. But, you know, the Argos are playing under a different playing field. That are playing by different rules. 
like it's it's absolute bullshit like you're you're wasting your words and your time on something like this when the CFL came out and said look we're not fi- we're not going to be finding anybody this year mainly because we're trying to allow people to or allow teams to retain as much of their income as possible so that we don't have to borrow as much money from the federal government. Yeah, but, well, at first I thought it was, okay, there's two parts to this. Are you going after the league? Or are you just rehashing that article of conspiracy? There's even I sort of, I mean, I don't really, I see the point, like, yes, they said because of COVID, we're not going to issue the fine, but I don't know. I don't see why the article shouldn't have to. I don't know why they came to that decision. That part I don't agree with necessarily, but I'm certainly getting my Certainly, you get me my back straightened when people bring up that tired conspiracy. Yeah, I'm I'm not drunk enough to be doing this. As a matter of fact, I'm (laughs) I'm not drunk enough. I'm not drunk at all, actually. If you if if we were gonna go into this, you should have let me know about I don't know three hours before we started recording, so I can start so I can start pounding them back and then say what I really want to say. But unfortunately, that might get to you in trouble, and then that'll just be a whole, whole can of worms that may that may not want to be opened. Hmm. So you're taking the if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. Approach. Well, I could like well, there I could say well, definitely well, all the amateur accountants that wear green from a certain from two provinces over seem to seem to have or be having a field day with this. I could also say that there's a awful lot of people that are. That are a couple of cans shorts of a six pack that are that are spouting off about this, um, but to be quite honest, the league made their decision. Nothing, no amount of bitching on Twitter is gonna change that now, <laughs> because the clearly has because the league has clearly got much bigger issues to deal with. Like, are they even gonna have a season this year? Or are they going to be even running a season beyond this beyond this crisis? And you want to? And at this point, Mister Cosplay Journalist wants to go on wants to go on a tangent about a about a perpetual meme, and it's and it's gotten really dank at this point. About how we are the the fate that we are the fate. You know what? So what? At this point, we were pun- we were punished with a four- with two consecutive four and fourteen seasons. If you want to pile on the Argos, go right it go right ahead, right? Be- but pile us on for the fact that we tried to cheat and we still sucked. Okay. If you want to say, oh, oh, but I know there's some people that are saying they should be punished because MLS and E has the money and they can easily afford it. 
True. MLSD could pay for it out of out of pocket lint. But the league said no one's getting no one's getting a fine levied for for this year. So I'm pretty sure that the Argos would easily could easily pay the fine. But as far but the the league said don't worry about it. We aren't gonna. You take that and go pound dirt. Alright, gentlemen, you have three minutes and you better make it good. Three minutes and we're out of here. We got three minutes and we're out. Is this thing on? Yeah. Are you hearing it? First of all, TSN this week. After the after CFL 2020 at eight o'clock, they will be replaying the 2017 East final against the, against the rough riders of Saskatchewan clay. Your tears will be on tap. Um, no, 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 let me, let me phrase. That was a good game. I very much enjoyed the amount of energy in there when Toronto won. I was so happy at the end of that game. Okay. So, so in this case, not your tears, but other writer fans' tears will be on tap, and I will be drinking in excess of those tears, as well as God knows whatever else I've got in my house that I'm probably going to get shit-faced on watching that game. Um, but yeah, go go watch. <laughs> um, what else? What else is there? Uh. What else did I have? We've talked about so much stuff. Exactly. I mean, do I real? I mean, do I really need to go into the C- the CFL subreddit moderators basically, uh, basically saying that the that they're going to start calling the the es- the Eskimos the Edmonton football team? Uh, no, nah, I'm not going to bother going into that. Yeah, I'm not going to bother. I mean, we've already talked about so we've already talked about so much stuff tonight. Personally, I'd rather shit on three downs some more, but hey. <laughs> but um you know what? I I'm 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 just l- looking at this and so you know, you have the Argos sealing a victory over Saskatchewan in the 17 East final. And then their second game of the evening is the 2019 West Final. Once again, Saskatchewan losing after Fajardo hits the upright on the final play. <laughs> oh, what, no. Why, why, what does TSN have against Ryder fans? They really do not want them to be happy. Have they, I don't know if they've shown many, any Ryder wins. Well, what? Well, to be quite honest, in the big game, what rider wins do you guys have? Shut up. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when you, I mean, your your team still has as many cups as the University of Toronto, which and the Grey Cup was not a amateur championship since like the very early days of Canadian football, and the fact that you still don't have more cups than that at this point in time. Like, come on. Green Riders, get with it. Fuck. <laughs> you got more cups in the last 30 years than they do. Well, 
<laughs> well, yeah. Well, then again, U of T not only doesn't play for the Grey Cup anymore, but they just suck full stop. Keep semantics. 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 <laughs> Keep in mind that this is the I think the first Argo win they're showing since the since Grey the bo- since the two since the bot since the botched Grey Cup broadcast. You yeah. mean? Well, let's hope they get it right. So. The, let's hope they get it right this time. That's yeah. all I got to say. <laughs> hope they get it right. All right. So that's so Do we're saying they're so limited with their lot. They seem to be so limited with their life. I don't know. They're limiting themselves with their library for this. Like, they're gonna have to expand it. I think. I mean, I don't know what we don't know what rights they have to. But I mean, I have to. I think TSN owns ESPN Classic Canada. Yes. So they yeah, they start, do. I mean, I, I get the recency bias that comes into this, but I think there's no reason why, you know, you can't start showing some classic Ray Cup games or some of those old games that they have. They might, yeah. have, they might have to pay CBC for them. But I think if they show the American, I think if they have some of the, the American games, like from like 94, 95, ESPN Classic shows them often. I think people would yep. get a real kick to watch it, some of those old, you know, Toronto Argonaut, Las Vegas Posse games. I actually would like to see them again. <laughs> oh. So wait, do we have anything else in the three minute warning? No, that's it. That's all, all right. I can that's that's all I can think of. I mean, like I said, we've we've covered just about Everything that's happened in the past, what, week and change? Two weeks? Uh, something like that. <laughs> and we're, there's more than likely going to be more coming out of the woodwork within the next seven days as well, depending on what the, depending on all the PA drama that's going to happen, depending, and all, God knows what else. Yeah. Who knows? All right. Well, with that, we're going to cap this really long edition of the Argos Fancast, but uh, we did talk about a whole lot, and we had a great chat with uh, Darius Bladek, who uh, he, he's he's going to be a fun guy to have have on this team. I'm looking forward to that. So, Doug, where can they find you? They can find me personally at uh, Doug on Twitter at DougB519, and you can find the Double Blue Order on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just do a quick search, and you'll find us. And, Will, where can they find you? Just in time for me to finish my piece of bread. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at ArgoFans or at www.argofans.com. And you can find me at all kinds of clay on Twitter and the Instagram. Um, you can uh, find the Argos Fancast at Argos Fancast, or anywhere you find your friendly neighborhood podcast. Just search Argos Fancast. Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Spotify, anywhere that has podcasts. Search Argos Fancast. You'll find us. It's that easy. We are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. You can find them at cfpodnetwork.ca on the inter-world wide web and cfpodnetwork on Twitter. That does it for this edition of the Argos Fancast. We'll talk to you again when we figure out when we're beating Hamilton.
Well, we are beating animals. Oh yeah, we're yes. we're beating them totally. We we just got to figure out which which game that we're going to talk about. Ah, okay. Ah. So that does it for the Argos Fancast. We'll talk to you when we figure out which beating of Hamilton we're going to talk about.